I got you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here. Right, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Belen. Belen, and you're a course mate of mine. Uh-huh. You're on my course. Yeah, that's very true. Or uh, I'm on your course. We're on the course together. We're on the course together on the maps. Mapsito. Mapsito. <laughs> at Keogh Island. Yes, at Keogh Island. And uh, I was trying to interview you for a while to get you to explain public space. <laughs> nice. Suddenly opened you've, my eyes. You've, <laughs> but you had a, a good way to explain that. Uh, maybe this is putting you on the spot. But basically, I was talking about the public realm mm-hmm. and the public sphere. Yeah. And I wasn't really sure what public space was, but you seem to have a good explainer. I hope so. Yeah. It was it was to do with like how you act. Um let's think about yeah, like the square. The square has the yeah, we're common idea of public space. Because if we think of public spaces this school, since it's public, uh it's a public space. Um, parks are public spaces. There are a lot of buildings that are public but are less perceived as public spaces. But the square is a common a common public space, like, like a common understanding of like public the space. S- the city square. The city square. Any city square. Yeah. Yeah, so you have that public space and that, depending on the city, depending on the context, it's... You and you have more clear the idea that it it belongs to everyone, in some context. Like this is of every one of us. In others, it will be it belongs to no one. That's a different understanding of public space. So, in this first approach, you can see that public space it's has very different. It's very obvious, but it has very different of ways of being understood. And from where does it come? These different understandings from the regulations you perceive that uh, rule over that public space. So in some cases it's more obvious that there are like state regulations, like you cannot throw trash in the public space, you cannot smoke in public space. But in other places, maybe these regulations, the state is not so present and it comes from meeting others. Mm -hmm. And then you know by how they behave, how you're allowed to behave. So that's a way of regulation, like we see each other and we come to a common understanding of how to use. So public space, it's like crossed by these regulations that are common in certain mm. in certain way to all of us. But these regulations come from somewhere we feel it's like before us, like or above us, depending. What do you mean? Like the the regulations come from the state. We're not we're not in charge, almost. We didn't make like these regulations, but in most democracies, we have to believe that they were made on our our for our best okay. <laughs> for on our best interest. That if they prohibited to smoke, it's because maybe it's for the, the common good. The common good, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the idea of the public space. But then also the public space. 
it's a place where you can it's a place of representation um, but I, that I mean that imagine that you came from a very small community from a minority in a country and if you don't see people like you on this uh, public space you'll feel that you have a very small representation that it's not maybe the place where you're expected to be mm. or that can also be related to class to to gender so it's a space also for it's a place for this representation or who is allowed to be there it's very tacit but it's there so it's a place where there is like this conflict like who's uh, who's allowed yeah. in the most basic thing you can see like Imagine a public square where there is a mini football field, okay. soccer field. Yeah. yeah. So people will come into, no, I, I win today. So it's no, today it's my turn. That will be like a very, yeah, like basic example of a, a kind of dispute or conflict for gaining representation or gaining presence over that public space. But then it comes a third part that it's how you represent public space, how you speak of public space. That connects to the first thing I was saying that in many countries you feel that public space belongs to no one. So it's like, oh, this is so, so like, because it feels abandoned, not Norway, it's like the first, first world. So you yeah. have li like some public space, you, yeah snowfalls and people put like stones and people the government the state puts stones it's a way of caring for public space that also shows that there is like a a big presence of the state compared to other places mm. if that's not that does not happen if the imagine the grass growing endlessly uh, rats and this kind of stuff you'll start to to think that since this is since this is like that it's from no one mm. So there are ways of talking about your space, your public space, or your access to public space, that it's very related to this experience, like how you talk. So maybe here I have seen like a big, big presence of the state in public space, and it's not in the form of armored guards or anything. It's more in this way of taking care of the public space. People believe that if they pay their, tar their taxes, it will become, with all the criticism that, they, that any, any taxpayer can have, <laughs> that it will become like some care for the public space. Yeah. And I guess that if, if that doesn't happen, then people don't want to pay the taxes, you know, if the roads are destroyed and... It's very tricky. Because if how how can it be better by not paying taxes? So it's yeah. like yeah, but that's one of the one that's one of the key points that very like neoliberal governments in at least in my side of the world it's like used to to argue for or to make a point for privatization of public spaces in Ecuador. Yeah, and in many South American countries, like things uh, it's so heavy to take care of this since you don't pay taxes <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's not that it's again it's not that people are evil or dumb it's because there has been like a systematic extraction from our country so it expresses also in this form so what people do is that they organize like suppose that we were neighbors and mm -hmm. we see a very bad square in front of us, like rats, and it's getting very bad. <laughs> yeah, the long grass. Long grass. Imagine yeah. what could happen. Long grass, night, the devil. <laughs> 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 so we have an arrangement. 
and I tell you, Fiend, like, uh, what, what if we, what if we set like the next Saturday or Sunday and we have like this day of working together and we pimp this space, we leave it proper. Yeah, we cut the grass, trap all the rats. Yeah, <laughs> trap all the rats. Yeah, uh, scrub the pavements. Scrub the pavements, yeah. Trap all the rats, make a rat choir. <laughs> kind of, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but we, we got into this agreement. This comes from an indigenous uh, tradition that it's called Minga. Minga. Yeah. In Ecuador. In Ecuador and many countries in South America, different forms. Minga comes from Quechua. Uh, right. So it's like we are going to work together for the common good. So this for me opens up an idea that public space cannot also be public. Like by law, this is public and you cannot build a house in this square. This opens to idea that it's the common space. How this that is public becomes common, becomes common to you, common to me. And we have agreements on our level of thinking of uh, that we are in the same stand, like we as citizens and most than citizens as neighbors because hoods uh, are very important. Mm. Neighborhoods are very important. We as neighbors, more than we as citizens of this country. No, it's more like we neighbors, <laughs> yeah. we do this. And we'll take, we'll take pride in doing this. And this will be a way of, yeah, of... Kind of taking ownership or... Yeah, or taking feeling, ownership. Or it's like feeling more at home or something like... Yeah. But the thing is that it also has its limits because you cannot, you cannot make the states work or the governments, the states work. Like, yeah, depending on the government, sometimes all the state is very poorly managed. So you cannot do that work. So what you you have to be also be very careful in thinking that you can take that place because it's also not fair. Mm. It's kind of making me think of, in uh, the UK at least, there was, during lockdown yeah. and COVID and all that, there seemed to be a bit of a movement towards, like, community gardens. Yeah. And a lot of spaces that were kind of disused or mm-hmm. f- abandoned, um, even places like bowling greens, Mm-hmm. Like these were, which used to be these places of like cu- really community, you know, where people would go and d- play bowling. Yeah. But people don't do that anymore. So there's just all these bowling clubs. Closed. That are closed and mm. kind of in parks and things. And uh, also not bowling clubs, just bits of land that are there mm-hmm. that are not used for anything, you know. The, the local neighbors, like, applied to the council to kind of take over it yeah. and build a community garden. And then it like made the, it kind of like re, they reclaimed the space back to the community. Like a lot of the, there was, in Dundee, I was working alongside with this, uh, Friends of Fairmuir, they were called, right? Yeah. Fairmuir's a park. Yeah. So these, these were like a community group that were, the friends of Fairmuir, that they got the bowling club there transferred from the council to them. Mm. So they were in charge of it yeah. as like a community group. And it's almost like this privatization thing, but maybe like on a really small scale almost. I think that that's, 
Yeah, when I think about this privatization is when a company, like a soda company, comes and take over that space. Mm. That, that, or like a mall, like a mall yeah. will like, take over like the surroundings of the mall. That's like more like you're no longer under the rules of, of the state. You're on, uh, on the rules of market. So yeah. that's very that's a very tricky way to go for me. But in the case of people that get organized and reclaim like something that a land that is not used, I think that that is a way of of justice in a way because I really think that there must not be people without houses and houses without people. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's and also for for yards, like if, if there is some some piece of land that is abandoned, has a no a mysterious owner or is no longer taken care, it's important to to use because we all know what happens like around abandoned spaces. It, they yeah. start to be very threatening for for the, for for everyone in a neighborhood. Yeah. Um, not to mention an eyesore. Eyesore. Do you know that? <laughs> no. <laughs> An eyesore, like, means like a like something that's ugly to look at. Eyesore. Oh, but yeah. That's kind of yeah, like yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's like one of these. It's like a not in my backyard, NIMBY sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like that's an eyesore. That's an eyesore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get rid of it. You know. Get, yeah. They don't want to look at it. But that's one of the things that I th- I think that affects people a lot, like how like abandoned public buildings abandoned uh, public spaces like they start to really affect how people feel uh, about the way they live or where they live mm-hmm. so in places i guess in most most places like class uh, gender too race too is expressed in t- in ter- in a spatial way there is an spatialization of this so this means that if you are like this type of you check all these boxes you're going to leave or the place where you will leave is like far 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 uh, let's say in the south mm. or far 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 in the west or the east or i don't know depending on how's the city so if you go to these places you will see that these kind of asores are everywhere mm-hmm. so it's like also it's like the state also has abandoned them so it starts to really get people buried down because it's like populations that are already facing a lot of challenges. And if you go around and everything is like, what the fuck? What the? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's okay, you can say that. Uh, and but I guess coming back to the, you said about justice. Yes. That's something that you've done work about or like something that you've kind of focused on. Yeah. I remember you saying like, epistemological justice is that kind of in a similar vein as what yeah. you meant by like it's a form of justice reclaiming space yeah it's a form of justice of course like i wish i could have done more work on that but i hope i can yeah i can do more afterwards but i think that reclaiming a space like like teaming with or like Whatever, like these type of claims for space, like how to use a public building, how not to 
if you manage a public building, like let's say it's a museum, a school, whatever, like how to be very mindful of how this space is serving everyone. Mm. So that that for me it's a way of keeping that in mind, like yeah, like how things can be like fair in a, in a certain way. Yeah. Because I think that's the whole idea, maybe, is that public space, it has to kind of be fair and mm. utilitarian. Like, everyone is welcome to use it. But then, as you say, there's these invisible forces that means that that's quite often not the case. Yeah, and, yeah, like, even if, like, thinking about, like, public spaces in very wealthy neighbourhoods, like, what are the chances? That that other that other other people or other from other neighborhoods come there like mm. and feel like having a picnic in a very like posh neighborhood can that happen? So yeah. that's where you start to see that maybe it's not so public. Maybe yeah. it's or if it's public, it's not common. Right. So, okay. Yeah, it's very these very invisible gates of the space that. So policies, I think, that help open up that that kind of that kind of gates, very invisible gates. Mm. Yeah, in other places, gates are very present. Like the park is closed at night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that can happen. <laughs> <laughs> the park closes at night, and that is like at the first, people are very shocked. Like the park has never a gate; it has never closed, but. Under this idea of security and like the common good, it will get locked. Mm. But it's a way of the state of saying, I cannot manage uh, from 9 p.m. to <laughs> 6 a.m. That's unmanageable. <laughs> <laughs> it has become unmanageable. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose another thing I maybe wanted to ask that I've not... Uh, Hang on, just watch the time because you've got to go. Uh, how come? How come you did art in public space? Because mm. you seem uh, you're very knowledgeable. Thank you. And <laughs> you, I don't know. I think like the reason that you did it was maybe different to what to my reason, and but maybe not. Aye, aye, aye. What was your reason? My reason was. I don't know, I'd, I'd done a lot of projects that were not mm -hmm. in art galleries or, like, I was, I was interested in kind of, like, using cities and the spaces around us in, like, taking ownership, I guess, mm -hmm. in a way, and, and seeing the kind of opportunity and the potential for these spaces to feel more welcoming. Yeah. I guess. And, and also... Try because I had not really done much work in galleries or anything. I'd never had. We had an exhibition last uh, semester, yeah, and that was the first time I'd had work like in a gallery. In a gallery space, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I always thought that was funny. Yeah. But then one of our course mates was like, "Why is it funny?" I was like, <laughs> "It's just funny to me because I've never, <laughs> I've never but, done but, this before." But be precise. Why is it funny? <laughs> yeah, I get you. And uh, yeah, so. It just seemed natural to me to kind of do something that wasn't just fine art, because I think 
I was interested in doing something a bit different, you know. Yeah. I'm not like making sculptures or paintings. I'm okay. interested in doing, exploring other things. Yeah. A materially engaged artist. Mm. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Not so materially. Engaged, not so material. Really. No, I was saying immaterial engaged. In, immaterial, yeah. <laughs> immaterial engaged practice. I'm kidding. No, I, th <laughs> I think that, yeah, when I, when I went to art school, I think that, I don't know, it was very generational. One thinks that every personal interest is very generational, but maybe not. <laughs> it was maybe my, my stuff. <laughs> but then I thought that, yeah, institutions seem horrible. <laughs> they, were, they were run by this, with all due respect. With all due, all due respect. respect. When you say all due respect, that means oh, the pain's coming later. The pain's come. <laughs> but this very... Ah, <laughs> yeah. I will leave it with ah, yeah. But it's very like I don't know. And by institutions, you mean like yeah. museums and galleries? Yeah, and the few museums, the very few museums that were there, they were not even interested in anything coming from young artists or whatever is labeled as young artists. It was like these guys are like making their try. It was very like. And they were showing up like these very material, like very fine art stuff, like and very like in these this very special moment when uh, it's like these neo abstract expressionism. <laughs> so oh, yeah. it was like, what is this? <laughs> and then life was like more. Yeah, like in in in, in li like in daily life, you can find a lot of things to work on, like a lot of people, contacts, ways of ways of doing things. Even rock concerts were very important at at that time. Like, I would think generationally because it were places of political expression too. So that could not fit on a museum or a gallery of that time. Mm. So it was like what we know, what we knew, but then was dismissed as, ah, this is like a subculture, or this is like, ah, these are people who are trying to be artists, they are not. And it was even more important, I guess, like this idea of habitus, like where do you come from, like, like which family, like this kind of habitus. stuff. Habitus. Habitus, like, okay. Like this idea of where do you come from, like, coming from the right place, having the proper cultural capital, like knowing that, that now it's expressed like, it's a sociological con concept, but it's like, it can be expressed as knowing the right people coming from the right place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we didn't have any of that. So it was like, <laughs> we were very suitable for a museum. <laughs> so I have to find my own way and I started to try public space. Yeah. Like doing things in public space. But then I also thought that I was also very, very critical of education, of art education. I thought that it was very crappy. And then I felt like, <laughs> why is this? Why, are, why it has to be like this? And then I said, okay, first the public stuff, and <laughs> first like try to, to work in public space, and then also keep in mind that you want to, to be a teacher at some point, like keep those things like together. So in time, it went like that. And at some point, yeah, many things happened. I was a teacher, la, 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 la. And then at some point, 
I came back to work at a museum. Ah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was like. But then I said, like, no, I, I, I cannot be the, the, the crappy museum worker that I hated back in the <laughs> day. <laughs> With all your respect. <laughs> so the, fir <laughs> the, <laughs> the first, the first thing, like, as an act of, yeah, sometimes I think that we, like. Oh, some justice to the generation we were part. Like all these great artists, great talented people that quitted art, that went yeah. to do whatever stuff, because they felt that they were not heard of not, or not seen. So I, I decided like, okay, there must be a lot of people in a lot of generations that went through this, like this feeling that we cannot fit here. This is not meant for us. Though it's public money, so that's very like scary stuff. Yeah. So I made a program for young artists where they can be like, where they ha can have like training in what I read was important at that moment. So if you want to make an application, if you want to, we don't have a lot of grants, but we have, but you can apply like in the continent or to study, study there or study somewhere else or for, for an exhibition. But if you don't have portfolio skills, if you don't know how to build your own portfolio, that will be very messy. And mm. now we see with all the grants here, like how it can be very decisive, how you build your, the narrative of your work. So I started to make that. And then I said, maybe other stuff that it's very critical. It's like how to, not from this managerial idea of project, but how, how to develop an art project. How do you work on, on your research? How do you make this make sense? So it was like mostly structured with that. And it was a call open for for young artists. Like whatever, whoever is considers themselves young. It was not based on age. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess because being young and being a young artist is different. Different things, stuff. yeah. Yeah, so it was like whoever wants to come. And that's how we started to, yeah, that program I, it was my first program at the museum. At first, people were not so happy with it because it was like, which place does this have in a museum? Like, this museum has become a classroom. And it was like, fun. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people can be very conservative. Yeah, that's super conservative. But I thought like, ah, okay, it's public money. We need, to, we need to serve the most people we can serve. We have a lot of exhibitions and openings. Uh, so that's covered. It, we won't stop having, <clears throat> sorry, the material-based stuff. It will be there. Paintings, sculptures will be there. <laughs> Take it for granted. <laughs> they, they won't move. <laughs> I'm not claiming for that. I just want a tiny, small room. That is the half of the studio of maps now that I see it. Yeah. Just to have this program. That's and it will be after the hours of, of the museum. Oh, right. So you won't even see the people. <laughs> yeah. Total success. <laughs> Total success, yeah. Total success, because I'm very stubborn, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and the people were very nice. <laughs> yeah, well, amazing. Yeah, thank you. So that was your step into, I guess it was like in the gallery, but I, but not the gallery. Yeah, like making some, making, making common that public space. Yeah. That's yeah. That's and that that kind of comes back to what you're saying is like trying to get rid of these, these barriers and yeah that are invisible maybe you know because that's it like a museum's public but not everyone's going to go to a museum you know no. and 
one thing I was heard that really resonated with me was uh, Jess. Uh, I can't remember her name. Jess Phillips. She's theatre. She was like the director of the Dundee Rep. Yeah. Which is a theatre in Dundee. I saw her talking once and she used to do a lot of uh, workshops mm. in prisons, working with prisoners, doing theatre and stuff like that. And there was this one guy that was really, uh, I think I've maybe told you this before. There was one guy that was like really mm. into it. He yeah. loved theatre. And uh, Jess said, okay, right, w once you get out, you know, come to the rep and we can get you involved. Yeah. So he got out and then he was meant to go on the Monday, you know. Yeah. Um, and didn't show up. Oh. Okay. And then I think he was meant to come the next week, you know, it was meant to be every Monday and he didn't show up again. <laughs> so then uh, Jess managed to to like uh, track him down get 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 him on the phone yeah and it, it turned out that this guy had he'd been coming to the theater but he just couldn't mm. bring himself to go in because yeah. of this this barrier like you know it yeah. was like this isn't a space that's for me that feeling was there and it's really it made me really sad to hear that and it's yeah. like but then she said you know so this is important when you think about like access to space and these barriers that might not be there for you are there for other people. And she said, like, you know, a way of combating that would be, okay, we meet him out in the street and then walk him in. Because, yeah. you know, we meet in the, in the, um, the space where we're mm -hmm. both comfortable instead yeah. of him meeting inside, you know? Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, I think that's like a really... Yeah, one step forward from each side. That's kind of, yeah, making this common. Yeah. All right. Well, let's end there because you've got to go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Fee. Thanks, Belen. Hopefully, uh, sounds all right. Yeah. But that was great. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Great. We'll do it again. Yeah, we'll do okay. it again. Yeah. All right. Great. The bunny stuff. <laughs> the bunny stuff. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> Speak later. Crap. <laughs> Crap. Now it's later on in the evening. I'm going to Jakobskirke or uh, Jacob's Church and I'm going to see Blind Boy live. I'm quite excited. He was a big influence on me in starting the podcast and kind of, I don't know, I listened to an episode of his during the summer when I was preparing to leave for Oslo and he was talking about the podcast medium in a way that I hadn't really heard it speaking about. It was an episode where someone had wrote in and saying they were writing their thesis about him and how his podcast was like a novel. And uh, someone was just shouting at me there. I don't know why. Uh, and he was explaining how he viewed the podcast as literature. Also, that combined with the fact that I think his is quite different to other formats that I'd heard, and it kind of made me think about... 
think I spoke about this before. I always thought of a podcast you needed a partner or a team. I'd never really thought about just doing one myself. I'd wanted to do radio. You can do radio by yourself. But can you do a podcast by yourself? I don't know why. It just seemed like that wasn't what that wasn't the thing. I don't know. I just hadn't thought about it. So big thanks to him. And I'm excited to see a live show. Bit expensive though. It was like uh, 45 pounds or something for a ticket, which is. It was it was a bit too expensive actually. I was like, I can't really afford it, but I just knew that in a year's time I would regret not going. I'd be like, oh, I should have just gone 40, 40 quid, you know. It's nothing really in the grand scheme of things. Maybe something cool would have happened, you know, and I missed it, so <laughs> FOMO basically. And also, obviously, thanks to Belen for speaking to me about public space. I'll let you know how the show was afterwards. I'll let you know if it was worth the money. I hope it is. I'm sure it will be. Uh, but... There's always a chance. <laughs> I'm no. Nah, I think it'll be fine. I'm glad to support Blind Boy. Uh, he's kind of like given me a lot of joy listening to his uh, podcast and a lot of inspiration and things like that. So I think it's probably worth it. And this is the thing. It's like if it was. Uh, I think I'm more used to feeling that way about musicians. If you go and see a band that you like. You want to allow them to keep doing the thing that they want, keep doing the music. That's the kind of established model, right? They play a show, you give them money, and then they can make a record, and then you can listen to that. So that's just the same as this, this, this except it's podcasts, I guess. It's gotten very cold can't really be bothered with the cold anymore. Alright, I'm going to stop recording. I'm nearly at the church. Speak to you later. He got a rash on his head because people kept putting hats on him. <laughs> yeah. He used to stick his head under the water and the fishermen would be in boats and they used to think it was funny to take off the flat caps and put it on his head. And then some fisherman had a dirty scalp. A fucking, fucking, a fucking scalp infection. Maybe that's what killed him. Um, I'm going to open up questions to the audience now. I'm out the show and I'm walking home. Was it worth the money? Yes, I think that was worth the money. And it was worth the time and the effort spent to get there. I bought a beer 
I kind of just out of habit I just bought bought a beer and because uh, I'm out of my j- dry January now uh, beer's quite expensive <laughs> I don't know why I did that anyway so that was fine the blind boy was speaking to an expert about uh, he, he's, he's an expert who's like uh, a doctor that does ketamine therapy and he uh, administers ketamine in 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 a therapeutic form to people that are suffering from depression and anxiety and a whole mixture of other things, PTSD. And uh, apparently this stuff works wonders. So I can gather. So the thing was, it's not really like my area of what I'm super interested in. But uh, it was still very interesting as as much as like an interesting thing is you know and it was nice to see the inner workings of of the live show and i'd be really interested to see how that translates to the podcast and the kind of difference between the podcast and the live experience so that's why it was it was worth it and having done my taxes uh, last week you know I was t- on the phone to my dad and I was telling him he says well what's your expenses you know and I said well as an art as an artist it's quite you get quite a lot of expenses because if you go to see a film you know that's technically can be artistic research and if you're going to everybody yeah, uh no sorry and uh i see so this this bus route is uh this bu- this bus stop the walk between work and the bus stop seems to have uh, this is where you buy hash if you want to buy some hash I think uh, <laughs> makes a difference to the uh, walking past the the kindergarten and stuff that I was accustomed to walking past my old route anyway what was I saying oh yes my uh, my expenses as an artist is uh, if you go see a film, you know, technically that counts as artistic research. I've been intensely inspired by films and or plays or uh, you know shows like that, that live podcast show, and that is it. Kind of sounds like cheeky, oh haha, you know, put put it through. It's like an expense, but. I really do believe that it that is that is what it is that's what research is and these things are vital to maintaining uh, a practice I think is staying engaged you know if a book is counts as a an expense you know if you're researching or a paintbrush 
you know, paint for experimenting and researching the medium, then so too is going to see a live show. You know, you're experiment, you're you're researching the medium by going and being there. So if anyone's listening, who's uh, didn't put through their film tickets on their tax return, uh, now you know. Finley says it's okay. And just word of warning, I'm not uh, an approved accountant, so uh, maybe <laughs> consult one of them first. Is this my bus? This is my bus here. Excellent stuff. Love when that happens. It's just arriving. Okay, it's been a wonderful day. I'm going to love you and leave you. Ah, the bus, come back. <laughs> Bye.